Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Samprin. We dive into sexual violence and the campus culture that's contributing to it. Will Laneway Homes help alleviate Hamilton's affordable housing crisis? We chat about how to get your children more active during the COVID-19 pandemic. We also have lots of election talk and reaction to the Emmy Awards. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Samprin on 900. Students at Western University walked out of class Friday to protest misogyny on campus after a series of sexual assault allegations have surfaced. Uh, The students also speaking out about the school's handling of the allegations. Western and London police have said a handful of women have come forward with formal complaints about being sexually assaulted on campus recently. And police are also investigating allegations made on social media of mass drugging and sexual assaults as at a residence on campus during orientation week. Nathan R.G. Barnett is the vice president of university affairs at Trent University and is an advocate for preventing and responding to sexual violence. Nathan, thanks for joining us this morning. What comes to mind when you think about this alleged appalling behavior? Yeah, unfortunately, this is not a isolated event. We know we have so much data talking about how common this is, sadly. And so this coming to light is both horrifying for the individual events and also horrifying because it's continuing to happen. Yeah, what I've asked myself over the last number of days is how is this still happening in 2021? And it really comes down to the culture that we have. Our culture allows acts like this to get to happen and for people to get away with it without consequences. And a lot of the work that uh, sexual violence advocates do is around making sure that we don't build that culture, that we build a a culture of accountability and that we are uplifting and supporting survivors. So Western has announced an action plan and I want to get your thoughts on what's included in this plan. The school says it will require students in residence to take training sessions on sexual violence and consent as it works to address what it describes as a problematic campus culture. Um, It sounds like a good step. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and for me, training has always been the forefront. Uh, By changing attitudes, we can make long-lasting change. So training is definitely a step in the right direction, but we also have to be cognizant of the fact that these trainings really have to be survivor-centric and trauma-informed and make sure that they're also intersectional, recognizing the fact that racialized students, students with disabilities, and LGBTQ plus students are more likely to face sexual violence and that they have to be represented in not only our policies, but also our training. The uh, the phrase problematic campus culture for anyone who's uh, you know first year in university or fourth year in university or college whatever the case is that's probably a phrase you don't want to hear because it, you know it ignites some fear obviously for these individuals involved in these you know allegations uh, for the victims I'm speaking to it, it's not something that they want to hear they they want to see some resolution and um, a, a finality to this kind of behavior. Uh, what are your thoughts on turning that culture around? I know it's going to be a slow roll. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important. Well, it is a slow roll not to have it too slow. Mm-hmm. Um, folks want change and they want it now and rightfully so. And by um, letting people get away with it, saying it's going to take time to change, it's not acceptable. You know, we have to demand change and we have to make people change. 
You're exactly right. Nathan R.G. Barnett is the Vice President of University Affairs at Trent University and an advocate for preventing and responding to sexual violence. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, Western University's plan will also see it hire 100 new safety ambassadors. It's going to be a mix of upper-year undergrads and graduate students who are going to work overnight in residences. And they're also going to create a task force that will take a comprehensive look at student safety. Your thoughts on those two initiatives? Yeah, I mean, I'm really here for bolstering our student safety, but I think we also have to be very critical of roles like safety ambassadors that are hiring students. You know, um, I was reading an article this morning uh, where some of the uh, orientation week leaders were talking about that and their students as well. This isn't work that should be pushed onto students, even if they're in their upper years or graduate students. This is work that uh, the university needs to take accountability for and putting students repetitively in those unsafe situations just can't be acceptable. And from what we've heard, you know, we're, we're talking about numerous uh, sexual assaults allegations, assault allegations, but only a handful of women have come forward. Obviously, there is a divide in terms of what happened and their comfortability with expressing or sharing what happened to them. How do we break down that barrier? It's all about making reporting more accessible. Um, the Ontario government recently came out with some changes to um uh, for universities to make to their sexual violence policies around reporting. And those are really important steps forward. But it's also important to remember that everyone's healing journey is different and the way they deal with trauma is different. And for some folks, reporting just isn't in that story. And that's okay. That's what they need. And that's and we have to support them in that. But also recognizing the fact that our reporting systems, our justice systems, even the um, systems within the university have not historically been welcoming or healing to survivors. Well, hopefully we'll see some progress in this case and in many other post-secondary institutions, and uh, and one day we'll get to that place where we don't have a problematic campus culture. Nathan, really appreciate the time today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again, Nathan. Uh, police investigating four, at least formal, complaints at this point in London. There's also a situation developing in Guelph. Police investigating reports that some female students at the University of Guelph may have had their drinks spiked in recent weeks. They say the university alerted them to complaints from four women about being drugged with an unknown substance, two at a house party last week, two others at an on-campus event in August. Police say no assaults or physical injuries have been reported. Scary situation. I mean, the last thing you want uh, is an unsafe environment, especially as you're studying and learning and uh, trying to launch a career in whatever field that you are interested in. And uh, having your drinks spiked on campus as well. Uh, you know, this this uh, kind of campus culture, as uh, was uh, reported by the, the University of uh, Western University in London, is uh, got to change, obviously, because that culture is uh, unacceptable. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. One of the hot topics of this election campaign has been affordable housing. And we know that there is a supply and demand issue, not only in this city, but in cities across this country. We also are learning this morning, if you heard the story in CHML News, about a recent survey from the city of Hamilton on urban sprawl, urban development, expanding the urban boundary. And the results 
of this survey is rather lopsided. 90% of the 18,000 respondents voted against expanding the urban boundary into farmlands. The local Home Builders Association has said that the boundary expansion and intensification are needed if the city is to manage a projected population increase of 236,000 people by 2051. Uh, the results of the survey are going to be presented to city councillors during a meeting on October 25th. Could laneway homes help solve this issue? And what about the housing affordability issue during the election campaign? Are any of the parties, have they swayed you one way or another? Rob Golfie is a sales representative with Remax's Scartman Realty, the Golfie team, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Rob, good morning. Hello, Rob. Hey, how are you? Rob, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I just saw there was some technical difficulty happening there. <laughs> how you doing, Rick? Good, how are you? Good, thanks. Excellent. It's pretty clear that Hamilton residents don't want the city to grow outwards, so I'm guessing the city is going to have to build up through more condos, multi-residential units. What are your thoughts on that? You know what? It, it, it is a great thing. Um, the, the laneway uh, um, homes that, uh, that they're, there's garages that are existing along the laneways. I used to live on Chatham Street years ago, and I did have uh, a garage, double car garage on the laneway, and it was just, you know, you obviously you just put your tools and stuff like that. Um, I don't think it's going to solve the housing problem, but I think it does uh, help. Um, the only issue is, you know, parking. Um, you know, th- there'll be that additional parking on the street because now you've taken the garage and turned it into uh, a nice loft or living area and um you just added residential a lot of people want to do this because they have in-laws that are moving in and or uh, uh, parents that uh you know just want to be closer to the kids because they're getting uh, elderly but i i think why not it's it you know you know it's just you know space that they can use and it won't solve the housing issue but it definitely uh will help a lot of families um you know bringing their families closer, like bringing their, either their kids or their parents, um, you know, to live with them. What, what is technically a laneway home? Is this a house that is in an alleyway, is in a, a different road? What is a laneway home? A laneway home is, um, they're, they're, it's like a, a lane behind the, the house that they used uh, po- uh, post-war uh, this was popular during post-war, even um, uh, for people, they have their garage, they had access to their garage on the laneway, and sometimes people can park behind their house. Now, a lot of these laneways, uh, you know, a lot of people don't use them, they've been abandoned, you know, there's weeds growing on them, and you, some of the people at the end of the laneway have taken over it and just made it part of their backyard. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it's never, it's it, no city plows are there. You basically you're on your own. If you're going to use that road, that lane road, um, sometimes there's always a guy that, you know, that has a plow that lives in that area. They'll plow it out for everybody. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you'll see them downtown more, uh, in central Hamilton and, and parts of, uh, West Hamilton. And, uh, there's a lot of, um, opportunities out there for people that have, uh, these garages or, or properties that back on the laneways that, that can make them into, um, you know, apartments or lofts. Do you expect more laneway homes to sprout up across the city? Uh, I do. I, I think uh, I think that there's an opportunity there, not only, you know, to, you know, alleviate the rental issue that's going on. Uh, and uh, so people will uh, 
turn their garages into laneway into um, you know apartments or lofts. But it's not it's not going to be cheap. It's 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 uh, it's going to be it's going to be pricey because they have to hook up sewers and everything like that. So you know just to dig. Uh, to put sewer connections and, and water lines and everything else is going to be expensive, but uh, they, you know, that's why you know sometimes family members are selling their houses and moving in with their kids. This is the perfect opportunity for that. Uh, in terms of investors, uh, this would be a long-term investment. I mean, you're not going to flip a laneway home because, as you just mentioned, the cost to you know build, get the services in there is pretty pricey. It, it, it is, but it, it is uh, it is good for long-term investors. Uh, if they're looking at buying a property and it has a uh, garage in the back or, or a laneway, de- definitely uh, it's an opportunity now for uh, investors to uh, jump on it right now. And if, if inve- and a lot of investors have houses that have a garage behind with a laneway. Just you know what, if they can get the approval to put one, uh, you know, finish it and make it another living apartment, perfect. You know, they just they just added more value to the property. Would the rules around setting up a laneway home be the same as an in-law suite or a granny suite? Yeah, I'm not sure what the the city's going to have uh, if they if they go for it. I know in Toronto they they okayed it. I'm not sure what what the situation is in Hamilton. Um, but I, I I think uh, you know it just uh, it just depends on you know what what things are going to go like with the the city. Uh, I know people have probably finished. There's a few of them are finished in the city that, uh, um, that people are using, but I think now that, uh, it's becoming more popular, they're going to, you're going to see a lot of them happening. Uh, out, Hamilton's got a ton of laneways in, uh, in, in Hamilton. So you're going to see a lot, a lot of construction going on if, if it's, uh, if they get the permit to do it. You can hear more from uh, Rob Golfie on the Golfie Real Estate Show, Hamilton Edition, Saturdays 9 to 10 here on 900 CHML. Rob, really appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. That's Rob Golfie from the Golfie team, Remax Escarpment Realty, chatting about uh, laneway homes in Hamilton, whether or not they could help alleviate the affordable housing shortage. Uh, As you heard, there's probably going to have to be a lot of them to alleviate that shortage because there is a a big wait list in terms of affordable homes, and uh, a lot of people are being priced out of this market. That's for sure. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. How to get our kids active again. There's a survey from the research unit at Ottawa's Children's Hospital, CHEO, found that children's movement basically stopped at the beginning of the pandemic. It found just 2.6% of children and youth met the 24-hour movement guidelines from the Canadian Society for Exercise Psychology and uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada. Mark Tremblay is a senior scientist and director, Healthy, Active Living and Obesity at the CHEO Research Institute. He also conducted the research and he joins us now. Mark, good morning. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Not too bad. Um, tell us about your research that shows that basically kids stop doing anything physically active. Yeah, well, before the pandemic began, we were arguably in a, a situation, a public health crisis of, of our kids' uh, lifestyle behaviors with them not sufficiently active, uh, spending too much time sitting and especially on screens and uh and not actually having very good sleep behaviors. And once the pandemic hit, um, 
it really bottomed out. Um, and this might not be that much of a surprise to people. Um, people were spending much more time indoors, which almost invariably equates to much less time being active, also equates to much more time uh, being sedentary and uh, on screens, uh, not just related to school, but also recreationally. Um, and sleep actually extended. So yeah, so that combination of behaviors, which we call the 24-hour movement guidelines, um, plummeted such that almost no kids in Canada were meeting these basic public health guidelines. So it was hard to get kids outside, as you said, before the pandemic. Is it going to be even harder to do so once this pandemic is officially declared over? Well, I think there's an opportunity here, but it's certainly a challenge. Um, is it going to be harder? Um, probably, uh, because we've recalibrated our behaviors to being inside far more than we were in the past. Part of that was a misinterpretation of public health guidance, which said stay home. Um, the guidance didn't stay say uh, stay inside. And in fact, of course, for almost any transmissible uh disease, uh, being outside, of course, is, is obviously much better than being inside um, for, for all kinds of obvious reasons. Um, but so it's certainly going to be a challenge recalibrating because we've been like this for quite some time. Initially, I don't think any of us thought that, uh, you know, 20 months down the road, we'd still, you know, we'd, we'd be in a fourth wave. Um, and, and so we really have adjusted our behaviors to a new norm. But having said that, I think there's opportunity. Uh, society has changed. Uh, people's feelings uh, about things have changed. Family dynamics have changed necessarily, and in some cases for the good. And we've seen here in Ottawa, for example, um, open streets that in the past, and, and by open streets, I mean streets closed to cars so that people can use them for biking and skateboarding and rollerblading and ball hockey and those sorts of things. Uh, roads that in the past no one would ever have imagined we could have done that with. And it wouldn't be great if things like that uh, sustained themselves and created a new normal where there were opportunities all over the place within neighborhoods for people to get out and be active. We only have another minute with Mark Tremblay, the senior scientist at the CHEO Research Institutes in Ottawa. We're chatting about uh, research that uh, he conducted that shows the children uh, basically stopped moving around during the pandemic because we're all huddled indoors. A big part of that is screen time. How do you break this habit? How do you pull that screen away from a child? Uh, this is a really this is a really tough one, but a super important one, I believe, um, because the research. Um, that we've conducted and that others around the world have conducted, it's been pretty clear that there's a dose-dependent relationship between recreational screen time use and um, all kinds of health conditions, but particularly mental well-being. So we've got to reduce the time. And in fact, the pandemic has caused it to go in the opposite direction. And I think there's a number of things families can do. Um, they can work together. Parents need to role model uh, healthy screen time use. They need to encourage their kids and afford, give their kids affordances for different things to do rather than just defaulting to screen behaviors, which means you've got to allow them to go outside. If in doubt, send them out um, and, uh, you know, establish your rules that you're comfortable with, but let kids roam in their neighborhood, let them do things um, that are alternatives uh, to screen time and hopefully healthier, more physically active alternatives. Mark, really appreciate the time today. Great advice. And hopefully we can get our kids a lot more active, uh, not only today, but uh, in the, the months and years ahead. Thanks for the uh, time and enjoy your day. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Mark Tremblay, Senior Scientist and Director at the Healthy, Active, Living and Obesity CHEO Research Institute in Ottawa. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. You don't have to make an impossible choice and vote strategically. You can actually vote for the party that is going to stop the Conservatives and move forward with the strongest plan to get things done. That is Liberal Leader Justin Trudeau urging Canadians, uh, basically telling them, you can vote for whoever you want, just vote for us. (laughs) Urging Canadians to elect the party they want rather than the candidate they think as the best chance of winning. We might see some of that today. It is Election Day. Our coverage on CHML begins at 7 p.m. tonight with Decision Canada. As we have uh, reporters really throughout uh, this country at many uh, integral ridings, that will play a huge part on what color this political map is going to look like come uh, 1 a.m. tomorrow morning or uh, a few days down the road with all these mail-in ballots coming in. Here to give us some insight on how this election campaign has transpired is Amanda Connolly, national online journalist with Global News. And Amanda joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? Good morning. I am great. Thanks for having me. Uh, It may have been a short campaign, but it did contain a lot of issues. Pandemic recovery, health care, climate change, the list goes on and on. Did one dominate in your mind? Yeah, this was a really interesting campaign because in a lot of ways, I think the things that that a lot of people watching politics had thought would be the dominant issues really did not end up getting as much airtime there, really coming up as often as had been expected. Uh, key among those kind of was the, the child care, the daycare deals that the government had been uh, working to strike right before they called the election here. That didn't really come up a, a lot on its own, but we did see a lot of focus on affordability through the campaign, which is kind of that broad term for the cost of living and, and kind of encompasses that, but also affordable housing in that, but also vaccines, vaccine mandates, kind of what the course through the rest of the pandemic is going to or should look like. And so that really is, I think, what's going to be on a lot of Canadians' minds as they are deciding for whom to cast their ballots uh, today. And certainly uh, that, that is one of the areas that we, we really cannot predict right now because the polls have simply been so close. Uh, we heard off the top from Liberal leader Justin Trudeau, the Liberals, of course, trying to fend off the Conservatives while not losing votes to the NDP. The Tories want to get back into power while hoping the PPC doesn't eat to, into their uh, results pie, if you will. Which dynamic do you find more interesting? So this this is always a really interesting phenomenon. Again, this is part of the, the dy- dynamic of kind of multi-party systems that we have here in Canada, where you do have this risk of vote splitting uh, when you have multiple parties on the different sides of the spectrum. We have seen vote splitting before with the Liberals and, and the NDP when that NDP vote builds. I think for a lot of us right now, because this is the first... Um, the first kind of national campaign with the PPC trying to establish a foothold here, that makes it a very interesting unknown factor. We can't quite guess uh, yet and don't have any any real track record for indicating how that will resonate with voters. That, of course, makes it really interesting to keep an eye on as well, because it, it is unknown, right? We don't know what, what will happen there. And so that will be one aspect that we're, we're keeping a very close eye on over the course of the coming day here and, and the coming days as well as we see how those votes break down across key areas. Amanda Connolly is a national online journalist with Global News here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What are going to be the main battlegrounds tonight? 
certainly Ontario and that, that greater Toronto Hamilton area is always so key to these elections. We'll be watching that particularly closely. And, and again, in elections like this, where we do have indications that the race is going to be so tight across the country, uh, those are really the areas where we're likely to see uh, the, the kind of future of, of the, the government here really determined. Uh, a lot of the ridings kind of around the GTHA do tend to move in a block they all tend to vote kind of in, in similar patterns and waves throughout campaigns. So certainly if they go one way or another tonight, that could really kind of have a, an impact on the results there. And, and that really will be key to deciding which party will be in that position to form government. And again, of course, Quebec uh, so vital as well with the Bloc Québécois picking up strength there and looking to hold on to their gains from the last election that really could eat away as well at liberal chances for a potential majority government. There's going to be a record-breaking amount of mail-in ballots in this election. Elections Canada early on in the campaign and had anticipated up to 5 million mail-in ballots. I'm not sure we're going to get to that number but even with um, a, a large amount of mail-in ballots do you expect a winner will be announced tonight? That's a really good question. And again, you're, you're right. We did not see as we have not seen as much uptake of the mail-in ballots as we had been told that Elections Canada was bracing for. I believe we're, we're somewhere kind of in the ballpark right now of 800,000, around a million, kind of that, that ballpark. And that number will shift over uh, the course of the day today as final ones come in. But that really will play a, a, big, a big part in um, how long it's going to take for Canadians to learn the results of the election. I think we're all used to campaigns where you have the results by the time you, know, you go to bed at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. That might not be the case tonight because of the mail-in ballots, because of the extremely tight race as well in a, at, at the um, at the riding level. And so that's going to keep us, uh, again, keep us on our toes, keep us watching very, very carefully for, for any changes there. But that uh, that really will be one to watch. Amanda Connolly is our guest. She's a national online journalist at Global News, uh, chatting with us here on, Glo- on uh, Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, I guess one big surprise to me, at least, is, you know, this is the first federal election campaign during the pandemic. No major COVID-19 outbreaks during the campaign. Campaign. Is that surprising to you as well? So I think what we're what we've been seeing here, of course, is um, is this pen, this election playing out over the course of the fourth wave across the country, and the the the, the numbers there again have been uh, kind of the, the the backlight to all of this, to all the conversations that we're having, including um, what's happening, of course, uh, really really uh, heartbreakingly in in Alberta right now and Saskatchewan with rising cases. Uh, again, part of the challenge with outbreaks here is always um, tracing where they come from and things like that. Uh, there, there is such, uh, so much kind of activity happening on on local levels and communities that uh, there, there we know that there there has been growth across the country in cases, particularly among unvaccinated people. But certainly, I think that the there have been a, a heavy emphasis throughout the campaign from the parties in a lot of different ways about putting in certain preventative measures, testing, requiring the reporters, for example, who are traveling with them to be vaccinated, things like that, that I, I think show that there is a, an awareness of the risk here and a, an attempt to try and do this as safely as possible. Well, I know it's going to be a long day and a late night for you and many others associated with uh, Global News and, uh, of course, here at CHML. Enjoy the day and uh, we'll chat with you down the road. Thank you. Amanda Connolly, national online journalist with Global News, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Uh, That's also the focus of our online poll question today, our Twitter poll question, the election. Do you intend to vote in today's election? 45% say yes. Uh, We have just over 4% say no. 50% have already voted, so either through mail-in or advanced polls. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML.
Time for our GMH Roundtable with Paul and Shona. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Beautiful day. Beautiful. It is a beautiful day. Sunny and 25 today. Great day for an election, I say. (laughs) Yeah, no reason not to head out to the ballot. Exactly. And, uh, well, let me start with that. The the Twitter poll question today is, do you intend to vote in today's election? 46% say yes, 4% say no, 50% say they have already voted. So nice to see that a lot of people have already cast their ballots. So the first question on the roundtable today is, what was your biggest takeaway from the federal election? campaign and I'll begin with this one to me it's the 600 million dollar price tag and whether or not we're going to be any uh, ahead or behind with that money the return on investment I don't think was worth it um, in saying that I've, I've cast my ballot I voted for you know the the party and the person uh, the local rep who I think might make the biggest difference so but my biggest takeaway is that's a lot of money for I don't think our political map is going to change much Shona what do you say <laughs> Um, One of my takeaways from this election is how much play some of the fringe parties or parties we have considered to be fringe for a long time, Mm -hmm. how much play they actually got. Like the PPCs and the Greens? Yep. Yeah. Paul? Um, My biggest is why did we have this election? (laughs) I mean, I know your money part is sort of uh, with that. No one that I spoke to about the election and I uh, talked to lots of people and mm-hmm. I asked about the election every single time I joked to basically spoke to anybody they all said the same thing why are we even having this election yeah. why are we even having this election over and over and over and over yeah so the big takeaway is why did we have this election <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll find out who knows come you know later on tonight or in the wee hours of the morning or the next few days because of all these mail and ballots uh, we'll get a sense of where this country is heading but uh, right now we're all kind of scratching our heads um, question number two, the results of a City of Hamilton survey on urban sprawl show that 90% of the 18,000 respondents voted against expanding the urban boundary into farmland. So instead of expanding outwards, I guess we're going to expand up. Um, where do you stand on this issue? Paul, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, we've been in this news business a long time, Ricky, and everyone knows that when whenever you have a, a um, an issue where there's going to be an apartment building in your neighborhood... The people come out in droves. We're not going to be talking about five-story apartment buildings here. We're going to be talking about 50, 60, 70, 80-story apartment buildings here if we don't expand out. I'm just like everyone. I don't want farmland going uh, to, to into housing. Mm-hmm. But those are awfully high buildings. This is why I am not a politician and don't have to make the final decision. I can just comment on the radio. This is a tough one to make a decision on, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And in building on what Paul just said, when you have these high-rise buildings, I'm thinking the mindset because of COVID may have changed for a lot of people who at one point thought intensification was the way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not in favor of urban sprawl. Most people know I live and have grown up in the Niagara region. Uh, There are uh, fruit crops that get sent to China now to be canned to come back here for us to to consume. And that doesn't seem like a very environmental um, plan as well. So, I mean, you know, you get very... Um, protective of what farmland we still have. Very but, much so. But there's only two options. You go up, you go up. Yeah. That's it. I guess and you could go down. <laughs> 
that's in a whole different that's, scenario. That's a little dreary. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> yeah. war scenario. Uh, for me, the intensification issue, you know, I'm I, I'm with the 90% here. I, I don't think we necessarily have to expand outward, although, you know, if we did, obviously that would help in terms of more housing units. Whether they would be more affordable or not is another question. But building up as well, you also have to take this into consideration, is there's a stack full of residents in these buildings. There is going to be a massive amount of transportation needs, whether they have their own vehicles or relying on public transit. Uh, Obviously, city services are impacted. So, yeah, there's a lot that goes behind whatever decision they ultimately make. I guess if you go up, you do get rid of cars because people don't need them if they're not driving very far. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hence the LRT and, and, uh, and a better you know, HSR system in Hamilton. And the high rises along the corridor. Exactly. Oh, we're seeing a lot of those for sure. Uh, We will end with the Primetime Emmy Awards. They were handed out last night, and we had a Emmy contest in which all... Six of us, or no, there's five of us. Uh, we include the producers Alicia and Liz. Uh, we all marked down our ballots for. Uh, <laughs> you we know, did really you, well. You're, you're chuckling because yes, we did <laughs> phenomenally well. Uh, the categories we voted on were uh, best drama, best comedy, lead actor in a comedy, lead actor in a drama, lead actress in a comedy and drama, and outstanding limited series and outstanding variety. Four of us got the correct uh, uh, winner in the Outstanding Limited Series, and three of us were correct in the Outstanding Variety category, and uh, that's pretty much it. We all uh, we all really <laughs> flunked <laughs> out on the other one. Then we were scattered. <laughs> so the winner, uh, we're, we're, what happened to my list here? Uh, Alicia and Paul and Shona all with three oh, out no. of eight correct. Three out of eight. Yes. I guess when you don't know what you're talking about, that's, <laughs> it. that's not bad. <laughs> But that is still better than the two out of eight that myself and Liz got. So yeah, we basically crashed and burned on this yeah, one. Yeah. Did anybody There's watch anybody watch the Emmys last night? I know you did. You didn't miss anything. I saw your tweets. <laughs> you didn't miss anything. No, they've been too dull for me lately. And uh, you know, aside from because you can, there are other ways to see who won and that sort of thing. Yeah, oh, I I like to watch the uh, parade of fashion that goes with that. Yeah, it, there was some fashion statements last night. Yeah. There oh were. yeah. Yeah, Alicia, did you watch? <laughs> I, I watched that part, and then for us, it's hard with us having to get up so early. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, you can I'm, only watch so much." Yeah, I, I'll I'll wait for them to show me what what I missed in the morning. Show the highlights, yeah, and there, yeah, there comes. Uh, <laughs> For us early risers, they, there comes a time in the broadcast where you're like, all right, I've seen enough. It's not going to get any better than what I've seen. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Emmys were handed out last night. The Primetime Emmy Awards, who were the big winners? Was the actual broadcast any good? I gave it a D. One sketch out of the hour long, pretty much, that I watched last night was good. Everything else? Meh. Chris Jansilowicz is a national online supervisor, entertainment for Global News, and joins us now. Chris, how are you? Not bad. A little tired, but, uh, you know, your your synopsis is pretty accurate. (laughs) Your thoughts on the broadcast? Well, you know, at first I thought, okay, we had a few exciting speeches. Seth Rogen came up and I thought he was funny. I don't know if you saw that. Yes. He was funny to me. Uh, maybe a little awkward, but that's Seth, right? Um, so I thought, okay, this is going to be a really exciting ceremony. It's going to be fun. And then slowly, uh, as it went on, I'm realizing, no, no, this is just like every other award show that ever was. Um, it's a bunch of boring speeches and 
of predictable winners um, for the most part. Um, and if you didn't watch certain shows, uh, I'm sure there was absolutely nothing of interest for you. Yeah, you know, they, they tried something different with the different camera angles, uh, an in-house DJ who was the voice guy. Um, you know, the room had a different vibe to it. It wasn't as expansive as in previous years. But at the end of the day, the meat and potatoes of the broadcast was the same. And I don't know, it just has to change, I think. I fully agree. I think that uh, I just tweeted, actually, I'm like, are we watching the decay of uh, award shows in real time? Uh, is this, you know, the beginning of the end? I just think, you know, the format is really dry. It's from, you know, a century ago. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's update this a little bit. And I know that they're trying and I know uh, there's some effort put in there, but it's still just not working. Um, like you said, the meat and potatoes is the exact same as it was like 100 years ago. Like that, that's just got to change. Yeah. Uh, are you expecting the numbers in, in terms of TV viewers to be really low? That, that's my expectation. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally do. Uh, again, no one wants to sit and watch a three-hour um, you know, uh, gathering of celebrities praising each other and themselves uh, in the midst of a pandemic. It's mm-hmm. just something feels off about it. Um, and even when I was watching last night, even though every single person in the, in the place is double-vaxxed, that's great, um, it just felt really close. Uh, Seth Rogen's thing at the beginning was all about how they lied to him. <laughs> they said it would yeah. would be open air, and it wasn't. It was a tent. You know, it was just so funny, um, but also uncomfortable because, you know, that really shouldn't be happening. Uh, and it just kind of felt like a separate universe from the world that everyone else has been living in. And I think even that factor alone makes you not want to watch it. Yeah, his, his comment was, quote, Why is there no roof? It's more important than we have three chandeliers than to make sure we don't we don't kill Eugene Levy tonight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, he, yeah, he was he was good. The other sketch that I liked was when the past Emmy nominees who had never won, like oh, Jason okay. Alexander, Scott Bakula, Zoe Deschanel, they all were like in an AA meeting and going at each other. That was good, too. Yes, I found that to be funny as well. Uh, and isn't that sad that there's like two segments out of you know, <laughs> three hours, a dozen, a dozen yeah. that, you know, you even remember? Like I, it's just, it, a lot of it was just cringeworthy, frankly. Um, so I just had to kind of turn away. I thought Cedric the Entertainer as host was acceptable. Um, again, they didn't really give him much of a leash. Like he was, uh, you know, felt, it felt a bit restrained for yeah. Cedric, a little G-rated. Um so I think maybe he was a bit within boundaries there. He couldn't really um, extend himself. But I, th- I thought he was okay, um, considering some of the past hosts. So Agreed. <laughs> yeah, it was acceptable. Chris Jan Selowitz is our guest, National Online Supervisor Entertainment with Global News here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. The big winners last night, uh, The Crown, Ted Lasso. You could probably throw in Mayor of Easttown in there as well. Your thoughts on, on those three and how they kind of rose to the top. Again, super. Uh, all those shows are great. Um, and a lot of them, uh, including uh, The Queen's Gambit as well, which won Best Limited Series, all of those shows kind of brought us through the pandemic. Um, I think a lot of people identify with the shows. Um, a lot of them watch them now. I feel bad for anyone who didn't, uh, because there would be absolutely nothing of interest for you uh, in this award show, uh, particularly if you didn't watch The Crown and Ted Lasso. Um, there's nothing for you here. Um, and so I think that kind of cripples the show a little uh, in terms of um, having a variety of winners. I think they really need to work on not only the diversity, which is like a running issue with these shows, but, you know, you need to switch it up a little bit with the shows, I think. I think, you know, you need to reach more audience. You you know, you have four solid winners last night. You have, like you said, Ted Lasso, The Crown, uh, Town, and Hacks, uh, which is a crepe show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then outside of that, there's really no winner, and you just it's just boring, you know? 
So yeah. they really need to kind of work on that, I think. Definitely. I binge-watched uh, Hacks over the weekend, and it actually, it's, it's, a, it's a really good show and uh, deserve deserving of the awards it won last night. If there was one big loser beside the broadcast, would The Mandalorian be in there? Because it was nominated for a bunch of awards, and maybe that was a victory onto itself for the creators of The Mandalorian. Your thoughts? Well, you see, it makes me sad because <laughs> I love The Mandalorian. So do I, yeah. Uh, and I know a lot of people love The Mandalorian. Uh, and I know a lot of people loved WandaVision, which was another one that got kind of shut out yesterday. Um, so those two shows are genre television. Uh, a lot, And if you look in the past, uh, the patterns generally are that genre TV doesn't get a lot of respect, sci-fi shows, things like that, that, for the most part. Same with horror movies. You know, you don't really see them get that much credit or wins. Um, so I guess fans just have to take it in, you know, and just know that it's a great show and that a lot of people love it. It's just not really going to get the awards. It is disappointing, but, um, you know, we love the show. We're diehard fans, and that's all we can really get for yeah. it. Chris, really appreciate the time. Thanks a lot for the breakdown on uh, the Emmys. Anytime. Chris Jan Selovitz, National Online Supervisor for Entertainment with Global News. You can check out a recap, some of the highlights on our website, 900CHML.com and on globalnews.ca. Don't forget to tune in tonight starting at 7 p.m. Decision Canada. Our election night coverage begins at 7. It will end at 1 in the morning or maybe even later than that. Polls open at 9.30. They close at 9.30 as well. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamperin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.